Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and this show is brought to you by your friends at Generation Joshua. As we travel around the country working with young leaders, we meet all sorts of amazing people who are working to change their corner of the world for the better. If you've ever been to one of our iGovern camps, you've probably heard from some of these people. But we thought that it would be awesome if we could sit down for some in-depth conversations and get their stories on the record so that we could share them with the greater Gen J community. This podcast is the culmination of that process, and we think that you're going to find these conversations encouraging and inspiring. So go ahead, pop in your headphones, connect to your Bluetooth speaker, whatever you got to do, and let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and our guest today is Ryan Bomber. We're so excited to have him on the show. And let me tell you just a little bit about Ryan as we get started. Uh, Ryan is an Emmy award-winning creative professional, international public speaker, columnist, factivist, and author of the powerful book, Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong. He is also the co-founder of RadianceFoundation.org, a life-affirming organization based on the belief that every human life has purpose. Ryan has a rather unique perspective on the innate nature of purpose. He is one of 10 children who were adopted and loved in a racially diverse family of 15. Today, as an adoptee and adoptive father, he enjoys boldly illuminating the intrinsic worth we all possess. He and his wife, Bethany, founded the Radiance Foundation to extensively research and creatively present challenging social issues through ad campaigns, multimedia talks, fearless journalism, and compassionate community outreaches. From keynotes at renowned locations like Harvard, Princeton, Columbia Law School, University of Notre Dame, Ireland's Trinity College, March for Life DC, March for Life UK, Capitol Hill briefings, and hundreds of other events here and abroad, Ryan is passionate about helping to build a culture that values life in all of its stages. We couldn't be more happy to have him. Ryan, thanks for being here today. Hey, it's great to be here with you. Man, well, I've uh, been looking forward to having you on the show. It's been, we, you know, you've been, a, uh, you've spoken at Gen J events before. We've been at pro life events in DC and the rest. But uh, I'm so excited, and I really appreciate you taking the time to just come here and kind of dig, dive deep with the Gen J audience. So I thank like you. That. It's so much better than the soundbite sort of stuff. You get to actually have a real convo. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. I'm excited. Thank you. Um, well, your bio was chock full of information, and I think we'll end up talking about some of that. But let's let's start back at the beginning. Good place to start. Um, where did you grow up, and what kind of environment was this? You, you said, did, did was it how many siblings did you have? I only had twelve. Only only twelve. <laughs> oh, only twelve. Okay, that's it. I had six brothers, six sisters. We operated with one and a half bathrooms. In a farmhouse in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Oh, my gosh. So, One and a half I, bathrooms? I'm just saying. Did I mention that I had six sisters? I I had six <laughs> sisters, too. I don't know if you knew that. I, I definitely did not oh, have wow. 12. I, I'm one of nine. Okay. But, that's, but That's big enough right But, there. yeah. But, I, like, I'm thinking we only ever had, like, the smallest we had was two and a half bathrooms. That's a lot. That's we, a lot of people. up to that, though. Okay. We oh, okay. building, because our great, my great grandma lived with us, so we built another bathroom. So that's why we had, ended up having two and a half bathrooms, but wow. you know, I love growing up in the family that I grew up in. Yeah. Uh, faith filled family. My parents were Christians, okay. are Christians. They, they love the Lord and that love of the Lord obviously manifested itself in, in bringing 10 adopted children into yeah. their homes. So yeah. that, that was my upbringing just growing up with, you know, 12 other siblings, 10 of us being adopted. We were white, black, white and black, native American, Vietnamese. Yeah. Um, some of my siblings have physical disabilities. Two of my brothers are albino, so there's you know legal blindness. Wow, just all varying abilities, but all love like crazy sure. for my parents. That's amazing. Yeah. What uh, got like what inspired them to start adopting? Was this like a official decision they made, or was it like <laughs> they just like they just like kept like God kept bringing kids across their path, and they're like, we got to take care of this kid. Like, like hey, he looks like he needs to be loved. Right, right. Like, what was the story there? It actually started with my mom. Okay. The heart for adoption, which my parents obviously had to be on the same page because you sure. adopt ten kids, you got to be in agreement there. Yeah, you but, can't just like do that one afternoon. Yeah, like, we're like hey, <laughs> you know what? We have three kids. I'm thinking thirteen. Yeah. But it, it started with my mom, who lived, grew up with an alcoholic father. Okay. And her parents separated, and so for one year's time, at the age of five, my mom went into a children's home. Oh and wow. And so it was during that year's time that my mom, who was visited separately by her parents, yeah. She noticed that there was another little girl there who had physical disabilities. No one ever came to see her. 
Oh, wow. And that broke my mom's heart. She just remembers at the age of five, getting down on her knees one night and just praying to God, God, help me be a mommy to those who don't have one. Whoa. And so that heart for adoption started at the age of five. That's powerful. Carried throughout her life. In fact, it was like her her prerequisite. If anybody she dated, she's like, I, I want to adopt a lot of children. So if you're not on board with if this, you're not on board, keep I, moving you know, along. You know? yeah. <laughs> wow. And my dad thought it was a really, as she described, a really neat idea. And he was he was all about it. Wow. And obviously growing up loved like crazy by my dad, he he threw him whole, his whole self into into it. My, my mom did as well, of course. Wow. So yeah, it started with a five-year-old out of brokenness. That's... And it's amazing because we all, many of us have experienced different things yeah. in life and we have the choice whether we stay in that vein of brokenness or yeah. we break free of it. Yeah. And I thank God that my mom's heart carried her all these years. And obviously she fulfilled that, <laughs> you know, not only did she, did they adopt 10 children, Having 13, you know, they had three homemade, and, and I was the first one adopted, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah, and obviously that went well. So yeah. every year somebody knew, but also, they also fostered children as well. Oh, we man. One boy from Guatemala who was there for, for spinal surgery. And just when you, when you love, it manifests itself in tangible ways. And I grew up watching parents who poured themselves not just into our lives, but yeah. into the lives of others, just serving they loved and they served others. That's and amazing. They continue to do that today. That's incredible. And I mean, like, I don't know many five-year-olds who are like, one, I'll be honest with you. I don't know many people who remember when they were five. I think I do, but like a lot of people are like, I don't remember anything till I was like seven or eight. But to like be in that situation, which, you know, you obviously, you don't get in that situation from having like this super easy circumstance or something. Yeah. And then to look at the other people and, and like, pray about it like that's uh, your mom's a special person she really is uh, i love her like crazy my, my my little mom people when they see me next to her like that's your mom they, okay they picture this towering person yeah Someone's like this hero like this of yeah giant right yeah, yeah. no she's just this little unassuming woman who's just so full of jesus so full of love um and thankfully her passion for words, her passion for writing yeah. became my passion. I mean, oh, there were wow. lots of things my parents passed on to me. Sure. But that particular thing was so powerful. My That's mom amazing. is a prolific reader, reads everything. Yeah. And really encouraged us as as kiddos to read as well. And that's why I love words. As a designer, as a writer, I just I love the power of words. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great that's a great segue for my next question, which is, uh, in your bio, we talked about you know you and your wife Bethany started the Radiance Foundation, and that's a you know it's it's a pro life organization. It's you're, you're doing media, you're doing uh, words, messaging, art. Tell me a little bit more about the Radiance Foundation, and then I want to talk about were you always pro life, or was there like a story that you know got you to, into this that was that was a twist? Sure. Well, we started the Radiance Foundation actually to we call ourselves a life affirming organization because we tackle a lot of different issues all in the context it. of God given purpose. I love it. Um, but fundamentally the issue of life because yeah. without life, nothing else matters. So when we started 10 years ago, our heart was really to talk about these culture shifting issues mm -hmm. from a biblical perspective and from a creative perspective as well. You know, my, my wife was a teacher. She taught okay. for 13, I say was, sorry, she still is a teacher, but she yeah. taught in public and private school for about 13 years. Oh, wow. And now she's a homeschooling mama. So hey, that means she's, you know, she that, continues to teach. The, the workload only increased, oh, but that's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. actually much harder. Yeah. I think she longs for the riot lockdown days of her <laughs> teaching in Philly. Anyway, she, you know, her heart is education and my heart is to educate through creativity. And so we just wanted to start something years ago after living in Atlanta for several years. Our family had just started. We had three children. Okay. And she had already left her full-time teaching job. Okay. To, to stay at home. You know, the right. whole stay at home thing is a misnomer. <laughs> no, right. No stay at home mom actually just stays, stays at home. home. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided to step out. Uh, she, she had, as I mentioned, she no longer had her full-time job. She left that. Okay. And I left my full-time job as a wow. creative director. That was terrifying. Yeah. How are we going to do this? We, first of all, we knew nothing about nonprofits, uh -huh. but we knew what we were called to do. So we started the Radiance Foundation to be able to illuminate, educate, and motivate, to illuminate the truth that every human life's, life has purpose, yep. to educate people about a myriad of social issues in the context of God-given purpose, and then motivate people. Don't just take in this knowledge. Yep. Put it into action. 
you know, as Christians, what good is our faith if we don't put yep. into action the book of James? So we started the Radiance Foundation not knowing <laughs> what in the world to expect. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of, when, when Jesus says in scripture, you know, the world's going to hate you because they hated me first. Right. <laughs> Didn't realize how real that would be. Right. You're right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Granted, there are lots of people who show love to us, but yeah. wow, the hate when we started exposing the darkness. Mm-hmm. Wow. But you asked a question about whether or not I was always pro-life. Yeah. I would have to say 100%. Okay. My, That's awesome. My parents lived out what it means to be pro-life. They, yeah. they adopted children that were written off as unwanted. Yeah. They, they didn't just, you know, adopt us and, hey, you go fend for yourselves. Right. They loved us throughout our entire lives, nurturing yeah. us, educating us, uh, filling us with the most important stuff, the spiritual substance. Yeah. So I saw that modeled yeah. all my life. It wasn't just an idea for you. It was like this was every day in front of you. My parents weren't political, though, at all. Okay. In fact, I probably couldn't even tell you until maybe even after high school what their political leanings were. Okay. They they kind of lived it out, but they they weren't and still aren't the type of people who just talk politics, politics, politics. They. They just live the life that reflects their belief system. That's so. That's powerful. Yeah. That's that's more powerful than being a political junkie. You right, because lots of people can talk politics, yeah. and then they don't walk it. Yeah. So, I, I would rather have someone who actually, if they're gonna talk, if they're gonna talk it, they they definitely need to walk it. But there was a moment actually that was a defining moment for me. Okay, and it was at the age of thirteen. I was. I was a little difficult as a child. I'm just going to put it that way. Okay. All right. I was a little strong willed and, um, my poor parents, <laughs> I think my original purpose in life was to make them, uh, better parents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I kind of pushed them to the edge all the time. Like, yeah. Hey, how can I make them teeter over the edge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at the age of 13. I was in this argument with my mom. I'm sure it was my fault, but in that conversation came out, <laughs> A life-changing moment. And that's when I found out that I was conceived in rape. Oh, wow. And she was she was kind of asking the question, I don't know why you're so angry. Maybe you get the anger from your birth birth father. And I'm like, what does he have to do with this? And maybe, and, she, and as she explained, which she had thought she had explained it earlier in my life, but oh, I didn't man. understand what rape was. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I understood at that moment. And that, whoo, that was... <laughs> I mean, as if your teenage years aren't already crazy right. and tumultuous enough. Right. Hey, let's throw a total revision yeah. right to your life yeah, story. Yeah. Man, that was, I remember standing in front of the, the bathroom mirror, the boys' bathroom, which was the half bathroom. Yeah. I remember just crying because how do, how do you even take that in? How do you deal yeah. with that? Yeah. And it wasn't that she was throwing it at me. It was it was a conversation, but because I didn't understand it, it was it was so much, but because I was loved like crazy by my parents, I didn't fall apart. Yeah. I could have easily fallen apart. Yeah. I actually used that weeks later in a persuasion speech. This, this was eighth grade in public school. Oh my gosh. And I did persuasion speech on abortion. Wow. I had my trifold display, <laughs> you know, the, wow. and I cut out pictures from pamphlets and, yep. and things like that. And I gave a presentation about abortion. It was my first my first presentation on it. Wow. And I realized that my teacher was crying. I had, you know, classmates who were crying. And I realized as I'm sharing this, which was a lot to take in for an mm-hmm. eighth grader, but I realized that I had a story to tell. So that for me was really a pivotal defining moment of how I understood that not only was I pro-life, but I had a mission that, that could tell that story in a way that a lot of other people could all right. That's, that's powerful. And I think that I didn't realize that that you went from basically finding that information out to like, that was already part of your story and part of your message. You said like three weeks later, how it, we, was, how? it was, it was weeks later. Weeks it, later. It, yeah, 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 yeah. it may have been a month, month yeah, yeah. and a half, but, like, but it, it was, the same, it was same in time. the spring. Yeah. Cause that's when I found out this, um, yeah. it was, I was, it was 13 is before I had turned 14. Okay. And so it had to be late spring. That, that is such a, I remember for me and for, you know, with Gen J, we work with a lot of high school students and, and 14 is kind of the age where we start working with a lot of kids. And those years are so formative and like you said, tumultuous enough already that like that's, that's, you could unpack that a lot more, but that's like just that that was your experience and how God's used that is just super powerful. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
The internet tells me that you have an <laughs> Emmy Award. What What is the story behind this? I have to know. Okay. Well, I, I used to work in ad agencies, and I was a creative director. I was a broadcast media designer. Okay, yeah, because you mentioned that you left your job as a creative director to yes. start the Ratings Foundation. So, yeah, what, yeah. Where was that? What was that? So it was for actually a – it was for the broadcast media design, all the creative design for a show called On Mission Extra. Okay. And so – Along with some of my my colleagues, we ended up winning Emmys for our our work on a at that time was a pretty cutting edge show about amazing f- phenomenal stories of missionaries in different parts of the world, and so you know I'd won n- numerous awards before then, yeah. um, you know Communicator Award and Addy Awards and things like that. That's incredible. But yeah, that was the first time I had ever won an Emmy. And the sad thing is, I've actually never submitted my work for anything since then. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I think, well, I had a lot more free time back then, too. Okay, sure. Um, but there's something about that when you get recognized for for excellence in work. Yep. And not only that, it was the substance of that work, yep. um, which we got to introduce to people in a way that perhaps they wouldn't have been introduced to. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, so this, this isn't surprising that, well... It makes sense then that your job title at the Radiance Foundation is Chief Creative Officer. Yes, sir. And so you are creative director. You are already doing this stuff. It sounds like you're already working with visuals. You're already working with other things. And tell me about – I'll tell you the first – I came across the Radiance Foundation for the first time years ago, and the thing that stuck out to me was with the billboard campaigns. Mm -hmm. And it was like – I was like, oh, these are powerful. These are amazing. And then I think I saw some social media graphics as well. And I was like the thing that stuck out to me was – this is a pro-life group or, you know, life affirming group, like, like not just the one issue, but like the ones I saw were related to, to the abortion right. industry. I'm like, this is a pro-life group that has compelling visuals, but you know, this, you, you can, I'm not trying to, tr- to, to take a hit at anybody here, but it was like, these are not visuals that I'm like feeling like need a R rating or a PG 13 rating or something. These are visuals that are like, they'll make you cry. They'll change your heart. But it's like, I want to share that visual. I want like that. That's going to connect with people. So, so that's how I came across the Radiance Foundation. I know you do other stuff, but kind of tell me about that. Like why are visuals important to you guys? What kind of stuff do you create? What have you done? I mean, we're very visual people. Yeah. I mean, we respond to that. We respond to things even sonically. I'm a sound designer as well. And I, I love creating stuff. Uh-huh. I'm the chief creative officer. I yeah. love creating stuff and, and not just stuff for stuff's sake, but stuff that will equip and empower people. Love it. I love trying to figure out ways to make things resonate with people that they may have heard. Like, the, you know, the pro-life issue. I mean, people have kind of heard, you know, some of the messaging right. thousands of times, but somehow when it's tweaked just slightly, yeah, it resonates differently with people. And the billboard campaign. In fact, one of the first things we did as a fledgling organization was launch a, what it was 60 billboards in Atlanta, wow. the too many aborted.com billboard campaign. And we took on two of the easiest subjects possible race <laughs> and abortion yeah. and combined them in yeah. the South. And it was crazy explosive, but that image of that, that black child and said, black children are endangered species, too many aborted.com. Wow. And we were dealing with the fact that the, the black community is hardest hit by abortion with yeah. rates up to five times higher, more aborted than born alive in New York City. And so insane. that was the, the media response was was crazy. But for a lot of people, they just think, well, well, that's just provocative. Well, truth is often provocative. Sure. And I like I like being provocative, but in a way that that affirms life. Right. Because you can be provocative and just be shocking. That's right. I mean, lots of people can do that. The world does that all the time. Yeah. But I love that challenge of figuring out how do we talk about this issue? How do, how do we um, how do we kind of deconstruct certain things and then kind of put it back together in a way that makes sense, in a way that will motivate people mm-hmm. to care yeah. about what you're talking about? Yeah. And it sticks out in a new way that like same fact, same issue that you've heard right. a billion times, but somehow it makes it jump. Um, I guess... I was going to ask you, you know, was the media attention something that just like naturally you were blessed with it and just everybody came knocking and or did you really have to like go strategically work that out? But I guess it sounds like what you're saying with that, was it just some the the it created its own kind of controversy cycle that just got people talking about it? Like what what, what was the story with that? 
Well, let me just say, we were the first organization ever to launch a public ad campaign dealing with abortion's disproportionate impact in the black community. Oh, wow. So there had never been any campaign like that. So it was uh, a new idea to a lot of it people. It was, yes. And to see these massive billboards all around Atlanta, that that um, stirred some folks up. Yeah. It's the New York Times. I mean, it was, it was the most mainstream media covered billboard campaign, I, I believe, in history. Amazing. And so did we have to work for it? I'm just saying God did the work yeah. because we didn't have any budget for advertising. We didn't right. have any PR budget uh-huh. whatsoever. Uh-huh. So granted, we did work hard. Sure. We worked hard at creating the content yeah. and, and all that. You created 60 billboards. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, that earned media attention was was just a reaction to something that people had not seen and journalists couldn't figure out. What, what do you do with this brown guy? What do you do with uh-huh. this brown guy who was adopted? They uh-huh. wanted so, so much to cast me as some sort of racist and bigot. And uh-huh. you know, here you got an adopted adopted brown guy who's an adoptive father who yeah. has a story like mine, conceived in rape. And yet they couldn't figure out ways to demonize me. So what right. mainstream media did at the time, they would actually omit me from articles about the campaign. Like NPR. NPR specifically, they interviewed me offline for about 45 minutes and I could tell they're just fishing for something. They're like, where's the crack here? Yeah. Where, where are we going to, where are we going to take him down? They tried. But when this show came out, it was all things considered, uh-huh. which apparently meant that they don't consider the person <laughs> who designed the campaign. All things are considered. Right. And then we decide. <laughs> right. But they omitted me from the three, what is it, almost, almost four minute long piece so the the whole piece was about the billboard campaign that I designed, that yeah. the Reins Foundation released. They don't even mention me. I'm completely cut out of the interview. They had three pro-abortion perspectives and one pro-life perspective. That's I, just that's weird. Yeah, well, that's what, what, NPR. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when, when do you cover the story and not talk about the creators? Like, even if you're even if you're saying, you know, and this is why we we can't stand this person or something like that, you talk about the creator. Right. That's no, so they weird. They, they they had to stick with their narrative. Yeah. You can't have some you know young right. brown guy. Right. Being pro-life, yeah. that doesn't yeah, yeah, fit yeah. their their false yeah. narrative, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So on that issue, um, you're talking about kind of the narrative where where there was that that racial element where they're like, that's not fitting the story. You know, you're the the that billboard campaign uh saying that do you say black children, black babies are an endangered mm-hmm. species? So that's you know, that you're you're targeting on the disproportionate impact of abortion in the black community. This whole subject, the idea of race and racial tension and racial mm-hmm. division and racial reconciliation, all these things are really big right now. As anybody who's been, I've not noticed. You haven't noticed, yeah. You know, Just joking. yeah. It's it's, <laughs> it's been everywhere. It's been huge, and I know that I've seen. You know, I follow your work as much as I can, and I've seen you talking about it, doing some stuff with it. Um, but for the for the podcast audience, what is your take on all this? Um, what 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 should we think about it? How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> as much time as you have. I mean, I'm I'm here, but you know, yeah. Obviously, right. we can't. We could talk for hours. Well, I'm biracial. My biological mother was white. My biological father was black. So, I feel like my life is to serve as a bridge, as a reconciler. And unfortunately, in our culture, I can say things that you can't. Right. How crazy is that? Right. Truth should never be relegated to someone's pigmentation, but mm-hmm. yet I'm able to say things that you can't. So I go out and I say them. Yeah. And. When it comes to the racial injustice, I mean, we talk about systemic racism and mm-hmm. and where it's most evident in the abortion industry. Mm. You know, where more black babies are born, or I'm sorry, more black babies are aborted than born alive in New York City. Planned wow. Parenthood celebrates it as reproductive justice. So we've been highlighting racial injustice for a long time. Uh, today, the conversation is about uh, the death of of individuals at the hands of cops. Sure. And of course, I, I support our men and women in blue. Mm-hmm. I do. But any cop who abuses his or her authority need to be held to account. Absolutely. Absolutely. So every life that is unjustly killed deserves justice. What we are not seeing right now, particularly through the Black Lives Matter movement, is a movement that is rooted in justice. It's rooted in race identity. Okay. It's rooted in black nationalism. It's it's a regurgitation of what happened in the 60s. See, in the 60s, you had two pivotal figures. You had Martin Luther King Jr. and you had yep. Malcolm X. Yep. Martin Luther King Jr. led a gospel-centered movement, mm-hmm. a nonviolent gospel-centered movement. Malcolm X uh, represented the the violent, the by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was anti-integration, by the way, and the perspective of the Nation of Islam, which was not gospel-centered, but deeply rooted in a, a broken religion, uh, a cult, if you will. Yeah. And so Martin Luther King Jr. denounced Malcolm X. 
mm-hmm. denounced black nationalism. He denounced black power. Malcolm X denounced Martin Luther King Jr. He called him an Uncle Tom, which is weird because if you actually read Uncle Tom's Cabin, it's not a put down to be called an Uncle Tom. Because <laughs> if you're the one who's going to give up your life so that others can be set free, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. call me an Uncle Tom for life. Wow. So here you have yeah. two men who had a vision of racial justice, but radically, radically different approaches. Yeah. This is what we're facing today. We've got the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a godless movement, which is hostile. If you actually read their manifesto, uh-huh. you got Black Lives Matter Foundation the Black, and the movement for black lives. They have a manifesto. Right. They published it in 2016. I'm tired of Christian leaders not actually looking, mm. pastors especially, not even looking at the movement's own policy positions yeah, yeah. and saying, well, it's been hijacked. No, it's not. This is exactly what it was since they emerged. And so my issue as a Christian is the church should be leading on these issues of racial justice. Uh-huh. The church should be talking about race the way it should be talked about in that Acts 17, 26. We are one blood. We're created from one blood. We are mm-hmm. one human race. Let's start from that position, and let's talk about our identity first being in Christ. It's not in my pigmentation. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the polar opposite with the Black Lives Matter movement, which is deeply Marxist, and this comes from their own co-founders, who say that we're trained organizers, we're trained Marxists, and you look at the language of the manifesto, it is, it's inarguably Marxist. It's pro, they're pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. They don't look for forgiveness or reconciliation. So, Daniel, there's just so many issues as a Christian. I'm going to pursue racial justice, yeah, but I'm going to lead. I'm not going to sheepishly follow a broken secular movement. I love that. That's uh, that's. I think that's clarity and inspiring. I think it's also, I, ma- I imagine that that's not super popular when you go out and say that places right now. No. I, mean, I imagine we, people aren't applauding for that necessarily. Well, unfortunately, there are lots of people who who thank us who say, and they'll even say online, I can't, I can't repost this on my page. Right. They're yeah, yeah. Because if you do. Reposting yeah, the truth. Yeah. And that's the culture we're living in. We, it's right now this whole culture of bowing down and genuflecting. Like what? Mm-hmm. Chick Fil A CEO Dan Cathy, uh-huh. shining Lecrae's shoes. What? I'm sorry. Um, that to me, and then telling other people go shine other black people's shoes. First of all, don't ever shine my shoes. Right. Okay, <laughs> do not do it. The bizarre thing Deal. in that is when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, yeah. it was not out of an apology. It was mm-hmm. not out of reconciliation because Jesus never sinned. There was no need for reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. It was in the midst of his disciples quarreling about who was the who was the better, who was the better individual, who was the right, best. Right. And Jesus was showing them that the the humility of servanthood. He yeah, was yeah. also showing too. It was you know. The metaphor of spiritual cleansing as well that's needed. Mm-hmm. So the person whose feet are being cleansed is the person who needed the spiritual cleansing. Okay, but right. we've twisted this in this bizarre display that we saw with 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 Chick Fil A's Dan Cathy shining a millionaire rap artist's shoes. Yeah, yeah. This is how far we've gone. So this is why we need to step back and say, look, we need to love one hundred percent. And love requires truth. In fact, Psalm 89, 14 for me, I think, sums up the way that we approach any issue of injustice. Because it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, O God. But then the next line says, unfailing love and truth precede you. So we can't get to justice without unfailing love and truth. Wow. And that's what we try to express through the Radiance Foundation. As unpopular as some of our well-informed opinions are Uh we're going to keep loving. We're not going to go with the status quo. We're going to go with a gospel centered approach. I, I love that. That's amazing. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for, uh, diving deep and, and articulating that because that's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. I definitely believe that, I mean, this will be out on the internet, this conversation, but I think that, um, the internet is not a place that I've seen at least amongst my, my interactions online where, where we can have these types of discussions in a super productive way to have it out there, like just comment by comment in front of everybody, but they're discussions that really need to be had. Right. And, and if we just don't, if we just don't talk about it or we just are like, I'm going to shut up because I don't really you know know what to say or, or we just are like, okay, I'm going to share everything that I'm told to share because that's important right. to do. That just doesn't seem to lead to good places. But right. what about what would you say to anybody? Because I know that I know that like this this issue is super current. Everybody's wrestling through it. I think that there are people 
and and you know you're talking about some like the white ministry leaders and this kind of stuff where basically people are like realizing maybe they had blind spots on this issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe they weren't engaged on this issue like they could have been. You know, you're you're saying look at Black Lives Matter, look at what's behind it, what's it's founded on, and saying how that doesn't line up with the rest of what we're seeing in scripture, with the rest of what we're trying to do um, as as people of God in this world. Right. So what about the people who are like, you know, they realize maybe they're waking up to an issue that they didn't really realize was there, or or they're trying to figure out how much what's true and what's not, because there's a lot of claims out there about what what is an issue and what's not an issue and all this kind of stuff. What would you say to the people who like, you know, they 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 actually don't know they have they've never read the Black Lives Matter founding documents. They they, they don't know this, but they know I I don't want to support racism. I don't want to support police brutality. You know, what what do you say to those people who are just kind of out there like, what do I do? Because I feel like I need to do something. I'm being told I need to do something. Right. And I want to do the right thing. Absolutely. And I, and I applaud those who, who sense injustice and want to do something about it. Uh, it's far better than apathy. But there can sometimes be an equal um, issue between apathy and lack of awareness of what's actually going on. I'm not sure yeah. which one is more dangerous yeah. because those who, who want to do something about it need to actually know the context of something. For instance, the premise of Black Lives Matter, is it true? Is there an epidemic of black people being killed by cops? And the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. We look at the stats so far this year, for instance, there, there, and this is as of two weeks ago, but there are 76 individuals killed and this is the database by the way um that's held by or that's kept up by the washington post okay so there are 76 white individuals who were killed i'm sorry 76 black individuals killed by cops okay there were 46 hispanics we don't ever hear about the hispanics right, um, there right. were two native americans killed by cops and nine asians killed by cops okay and over 150 white individuals killed by cops but who do you hear about you yeah, yeah. only hear about those harmed or killed of my complexion uh-huh from mainstream media yeah, that's yeah. it you didn't hear about in November, Tony Timpa, a white individual in Dallas who was killed because a cop kept his knee in his back for 20 minutes. Wow. The man had mental health issues yeah. and he ended up dying right yeah, there. Yeah. But no one rioted. No one protested. There were no hashtags. Mm-hmm. Why is that? So we have to first understand, is the context, do I understand the context? Mm-hmm. There is there is injustice. There There is racism. I'm not denying, of course, that racism doesn't exist. I mean, yeah. We, we talk about the abortion industry all the time. Of course, we believe racism exists. Right. But we have to be dis- be able to distinguish between systemic racism and specific racism. Okay. That's interesting. Because there are specific cases. We don't even know why George Floyd was killed, for instance. But uh-huh. it's automatically assumed it's because the cop was racist. And for me, it actually doesn't matter the reason why someone killed somebody because killing someone is wrong, period. Uh-huh. The reason doesn't change the heinousness, heinousness of the crime. Uh-huh. So going back to your question about blind spots... Part of our blind spot is just not knowing the context of what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. I'm 11 times more likely to kill by to be killed by someone of my same complexion mm-hmm. than by a white person. Mm-hmm. So we actually need to know the context. Uh, the other part about blind spots is some of us, we, we have blind spots in different areas. Yeah. And this is for people of any hue. Mm-hmm. We have blind spots about a lot of different issues. And I think it's a good thing to... One, go to scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to maybe illuminate those things. Yeah. Absolutely. Do we need reform um, in in our policing system? Absolutely. There's yeah. corruption there. There's corruption in our... Hello. Uh, Congress. How about, re- how about yeah. political reform? How about our politicians? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, see, but we're yeah. relying on them to fix the problem that is a deeply... That's actually... It goes deeper than the, the instances of police brutality. Hmm. It goes to a spiritual vacuum that exists. Mm-hmm fatherlessness in communities Mm -hmm. where then you have these higher negative disparities. You have higher rates of crime, higher rates of abortion, higher rates of, of high school dropouts, higher rates of teenage pregnancy, higher rates of drug usage and incarceration. I mean, there are things that we need to talk about when we talk about blind spots, though, there are a lot of blind spots Mm -hmm. that the church has. And, but these are things that we can all approach and we can, not only do we listen, listening is good. Yeah. But you have to remember, sometimes the people you're listening to are lying to you. I'm just saying. Mm. And that's white, black, or any hue in between. Right. So we can't just rely on listening. You just assume that because you're hearing it, it's true. I mean, we we don't in any other area of life. So So we have to be discerning in all of that. Um, But we we definitely need to, like, God, 
help me with maybe I'm not treating people the right way Mm -hmm. because of their skin color or because of their socioeconomic status or because they're male or female. Yeah. Um, So that that's always a good thing. Yeah. That kind of introspection. But we have to be very careful because there is a heavily funded political movement that wants us to align with them. Mm -hmm. And the problem there is that that will never lead to peace and unity and and healing, mm-hmm. especially when they're not looking for forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. We have to align ourselves with those who see the need and want to take a biblical approach. So the church, you know, one of the examples is um, I work, Sean Foyt, who's a global worship leader. Okay, yeah. Uh, we work together and a group of people on a pledge, and it's actually at ourpledge.church. And it's a okay. great way for the church to look at. It's a statement, it's a biblical statement on, how's it, a biblical statement on race and human value. And I think it's a great way for the church to start conversations. Okay. It's a powerful thing. So that's that's a way that we can look at some of these blind spots and say, let's talk about this. Yeah. I'm gonna check that out. And what was that website again? It's ourpledge.church. Okay. Awesome. Well thank you. Thanks for thanks for your thoughts on that. Um let's see. I I, I have a couple you have time for a few more questions? Yes. I I've got time. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, actually, uh, last question, last question on that topic, because I just, it just, you've got me thinking I'm a Christian and Jen Jay, we're, we're Christian faith-based organization. We're a conservative organization in, in that order. You know, we're Christians first, we're conservative right. second. Um, what are the issues with, with this topic in our country right now where obviously I'm like, I get with you, like, you know, I connecting on the, we've got a spiritual void, there's a spiritual vacuum, you know, we're not going to find ultimate healing or truth on anything without the light of Jesus. But in politics, where where st- we do stuff and we decide policy and we, you know, right. advocate for, for change or reform or this kind of stuff, you know, I can be a Christian and then agree with a conservative non-Christian on economic freedom and lower taxes. And it's like, I wish they would connect with me on right. why I'm so passionate about freedom because I'm, you know, human, human image of God and then the rights. And, you know, and for me, that ideology is super connected all the way down to something silly, you know, kind of humorously specific, like lower taxes. And I'm like, I have my reasons all the way right. back up to my foundational beliefs, but I can still, you know, somebody who doesn't share my Christian faith, I can be like, yeah, well, we'll go uh, talk about economic freedom together. So right. what are what are the issues while we 100% have to be working and praying and focusing first on that spiritual element? What do you think, have you seen, are some of the helpful issues that we can kind of rally with other people who might not even share our faith and say this thing, this idea is worth trying or or advocating for is there anything on that list you mean as far as the black lives matter movement is concerned or just well, in general the, politically the, the, maybe not specifically blm but like but yes like the like the racial injustice police brutality anything like that right. where where you're you know and i think you've done a fantastic job articulating where you would not subscribe to everything that the black lives matter even most of what the black lives matter movement would be after, but for the average person who's like, I just want to do my part to make sure I'm 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 advocating for justice. Right. Where do you where do you see something that's a legitimate issue and a legitimate solution? Okay. Well, let's look at the First Step Act that was signed by Trump, okay. which had to do with criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great area where you can work with people who, on a number of other issues, you, you don't have agreement. Yeah. But you want to see some changes in the criminal justice system. Uh huh. I thought that was a great that was a great means by which those on on both sides of the aisle could say, "Hey, we're seeing a problem here. Mm-hmm. Let's start addressing that problem." And so that that bill is one of those examples. Angela Stanton King out of uh, out of Georgia, who's running for Congress, um, is a recipient of of that being uh, pardoned by by Trump. But she looks at that, and my my barber, my barber is an ex felon, and when yeah. you talk about Giving people the opportunity to to be redeemed. Uh-huh. I mean, as a Christian, we should want that. Yes. You, you want redemption. Yes. You, of course, you want transformation within that redemption. Uh-huh. But that's one of those that's one of those issues. The yeah, problem yeah. is on like with racial justice. First, you have to define what is racial justice. Mm-hmm. Because I'll use going back to BLM. 
their manifesto is talking about reparations. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, I guess the white half of me has to pay the black half of me. I don't know how that, <laughs> how that works. And do, do my kids get like a quarter of it? I don't oh even gosh, know how that yeah. works. Um, wow. So th- what is racial justice? How do you, it's in language is very important. Uh-huh. How do you define it? Sure. You got the B, you got BLM that wants to not only defund the police, but they're calling for the abolition of all prisons right, and right. all police forces. So yeah, how are you defining racial justice? That yeah. first and foremost. So when people go into things, they need to understand, are we talking about the same terms? Sure. For instance, I worked yeah. with NAACP chapter presidents, okay. not the national, because okay. they're the ones who sued me. Right. Um, <laughs> and they lost. But um, <laughs> chapter presidents who are pro-life. Uh-huh. And I work with in Cleveland, a perfect example of working with people who don't align with you politically yeah, on yeah. other issues. I worked with uh, rep- uh, the, the head of the um, Al Sharpton's National Action Network in Cleveland. Okay. Right to life groups, pregnancy centers, people that would not normally be aligned. Yeah. And we were all aligned against this pro-abortion campaign that was launched by Preterm, which is Ohio's largest abortion facility. Okay. And so I remember this press conference and there's like 50 different people there. And it was an incredible coalition of people who were aligned for life. Yeah. And they could agree on those things. And, and I know there's there are a lot of arguments out there, you know, well... You're a Christian, it doesn't matter which political party you ascribe to. And actually, I don't agree with that at all because okay. you, you look at the party platforms, mm-hmm. you have to reconcile it with your faith. And mm-hmm. I don't know how you reconcile certain things like even abortion. Right. The Democrat Party wants limitless abortion right. for any reason. The only platform that mentions a company's name is a Democrat Party platform. And which name is that? Planned Parenthood. Interesting. Because they're going yeah, to yeah, defend yeah. Planned Parenthood no matter what. Our our Christian faith has to align with our political actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say, I'm not saying you're not a Christian if you're a Democrat. That's not right. what I'm saying. Right. But I think we have to dig deeper. Yeah. And, make sure it's and not make excuses. I, I think there's some really weak justifications for supporting a lot of uh, leftist political policies I mean, look at look at how sexuality is being defined today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in direct contradiction to God establishing sexuality and creating male and female. Yeah. So there are some deep issues that Christians really need to struggle with. Yeah. And say, wait a minute, is this biblical? And then you you put that that polit- that I'm sorry that personal biblical belief into political action. That you can't have that chasm between the two. I love that. That's awesome. Um, and easier, easier said than done. But I think it's really cool to hear you say it because you've been, you've been doing both. You've been, you've been thinking about it and talking about it, and then out there doing right. it. So, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's fantastic. Um, okay, uh, a couple more questions. Coming back to, to the general discussion of uh, life affirming organization, pro life advocacy. In your in your work, in your interactions, and the stuff you've been creating, what do you think is the the biggest idea or question or conversation that's changing people's minds on the issue of abortion? Or is there one? I mean, you can tell me it's a, a billion, it's unique to each person, but do you see one that's like this is really drilling down and connecting with people? Well, I will say my my own story. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. the one percent that's used a hundred percent of the time to justify abortion, and so. Yeah. It's disarming in a way. When I speak in college campuses, it's really amazing. I'm able to share my story. I'm able to reach people in a, in a different way because I'm that I'm that tangible example right. of the the exceptions case. Right. And yet, it's a, it's really remarkable because there will be times. I mean, I've spoken to Harvard and Princeton and Columbia Law School, and I'll yep. get some who come in who. Even, I remember one student said, "I came in here. I wanted to hate you. I wanted to hate you." Uh huh. But you you told me something. You told me things that I've never heard before, a perspective I've never heard, and you had me rethinking. And all I can say is thank you, God. Yeah. So it's it's not, you know, it's never a one-size-fits-all sort of thing, but there are things that resonate differently with different people. And I think part of what we've been trying to do through the Radiance Foundation is create things that will just compel people to think differently about things. And a lot of it, we, we tie things historically. So in mm-hmm. some communities, for instance, when you talk about personhood, it resonates more, especially people of brown skin where uh-huh. we're not, you know, weren't considered right. holy persons right, right, right. Um, for a long time. That will resonate differently in yeah. different communities. So it's not just one thing, but I think people appreciate coming into conversations thoughtfully mm-hmm. and creatively. Yep. I, mean, I always do these multimedia presentations yeah. and people are like, oh. 
they just they they hear the rhetoric from mainstream media, yeah, yeah. and then mainstream media is always saying that this, it's always this clash and it's always this fight, and right. they they never represent what's actually going on. So, but for a lot of people and a lot of Christians, that's the way they see it. But I love the fact that God's uh, enabled me to use the very story how I came to be yeah. to be able to break down some of those those walls and those barriers. That's amazing. That's that's great. I think uh, I think every every well. I think that everybody listening is going to like, it's, it's kind of like when you hear the testimony of somebody who came to Jesus and it's like, they have that, like that amazing, powerful testimony. Right. And they're like, I prayed a prayer when I was six, you know, like, 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 right. And we all have different stories. <laughs> right. 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 And we shouldn't discount our, our but the power of that of personal Christ. story right. is going to, is going to still, whether, whether or not your story is super radical, right. We live in a time where personal stories, you know, humans of New York, whatever. It's like we connect, people connect with that personal. This is my story. This is what I, this, this is either how I changed my mind or how my, my belief was reaffirmed. And this is what I think about. So I think that's great is, yeah. is working from your personal testimony. Um, very cool. Uh, what do you, you were talking about going to college campuses, people kind of expect, they don't know what to expect. They, they, they expect to hate you. You know, they, they expect whatever, you know, some right. of these people, you were talking about the creative presentations that you bring. And I've seen some of those and you've actually uh, done some at Gen J's I govern camps, which we're super thankful for all the times you've done that. Um, but that's something that I've always appreciated about the Radiance Foundation is that artistry that you guys put into everything, which I think Maybe and and there's been other there's been other like art and you know for for in the history of faith and and activism there's there's been some great creativity and stuff, but but at least for me you guys were one of the first organizations where it was like a light bulb moment I was like that's what we need to be doing with like you know the the combination of art creativity this message so what's behind that like is it just like is it just you know, Ryan Bomberger is a creative person. And if you're going to work, whatever you work on, you're going to be creative at it. Or did you, was there a moment where you were like, this issue needs to meet this art form to persuade people? Like, like what, what's, what's, what's the thought process? I would have just have to attribute it to divine downloads. Okay. Okay. I, I honestly, I can't even explain it any yeah. other way. It actually doesn't even matter the issue that I'm talking about. There's uh-huh. just something about, I, I mentioned earlier about my mom inspiring me. Yeah. Um, to, to read a lot and to love words. I mean, God spoke the world into existence. Right. There, there are power. There is power in words. They truly are revolutionary, but I can only credit God with just, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's not like I, I mean, yes, I had a degree in marketing. My undergrad was in marketing and uh-huh. I studied graphic design back when I, there wasn't even Photoshop. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But um, you're using glue sticks. <laughs> oh my gosh, this looks good. This is oh no, it's it's come all apart. Uh, seriously, it was a it was a long time ago. But I don't know that I can explain it any other way than God inspiring me to put things together in a way, and the way that people react. I mean, we get hundreds and hundreds of emails every mm-hmm. every week. We yep. we try so hard to respond to everything, but. I can only thank God yeah. for that inspiration. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It, it doesn't matter whether I'm, if I'm talking about school choice or if mm-hmm. I'm talking about sex trafficking or creating memes about, you know, racism. There's just something about one. This should be in every heart of a Christian. When when you meditate on the word of God, there's a reason why we meditate, because then it's in our heart and out mm-hmm. of our heart. It says, of course, it flows out of our mouth, but it also flows from, to our fingertips. Yeah. It, it flows to so many different areas, and I, I can just say, it's God. It really is. That's that's, that's the only way I can explain it. That that's a, that sounds like a good explanation yeah. to me. Cool. Um, what is next for you guys? What is next for the Radiance Foundation, or you personally, or you know whatever? And how can people keep in touch with that? Because you know, hopefully, I'm you know I'm hoping that all of my good Gen J listeners are familiar with the Radiance Foundation, but there's a chance that some people are going to be hearing about you guys for the first time. So, right. you know, what, what, what can they do? Where should they jump in? Well, you could, of course, find us at least currently uh, on social media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> haven't taken you down yet. Times. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, they shadow ban us anyway. We, uh, yeah. But you know, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter, of course, radiance.life. You can see the content that we create. We're really excited about some new things coming up. 
some new billboard campaigns cool. that we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to continue with initiatives on adoption. Of course, we are not going to be silent on these issues of racial justice. Yep. And, you know, we've been engaging with other organizations and trying to figure out best ways to have these conversations. Yep. And we're going to continue to message. I, of course, I write op-eds every week. So they appear in Town Hall, in Christian Post, and several other news sites, LifeSite News and, and Life News. Awesome. In fact, Newsweek just published, shockingly, okay. my, my op-ed on fatherhood this past Sunday. Hey. They, they of course, had a massive disclaimer at the right, head of it, right, which right. was a video all about promoting LGBTQ everything. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they published it. Interesting. So we're going to continue in our research and our op-eds. We're going to continue in our ad campaigns. Uh, we have, of course, I have my book, Not Equal, and my wife's amazing book called Pro-Life Kids. Yes. These are just ways and, and, and tools that we try to create for for people to engage the culture, for Christians especially to engage the culture. Love so it. just keep up with Radiance.life to see some of the, the newest stuff. Awesome. Up to. Amazing. And I heard through the grapevine that you guys might even have a podcast right now. Is that oh, right? Yeah. How about I forgot that one? <laughs> that's, that's, I figure that this pretty, audience. Thank you for the reminder. This audience right now. I mean, we can we we know they're listening to one podcast at least. So give them another podcast. Yes. Yeah, it, if listen to this, also listen to Life Has Purpose. It's our Bethany and I launched this podcast during the the pandemic. Now normally we do about sixty keynote events a year. Yep. Five months worth of events were canceled. So we're like, we have a little more time on our hands. Okay, yeah. So, and we also wanted to d- dig deeper yep. into issues because a lot of times I'm interviewed by media, it's just sound bites. Right. And so, and edited to, to be right. And not edited, everything you know, or, you know, yeah. Edit out the, the real stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so here, uh, we're in control of the editing. Exactly. But go to lifeaspurpose.com. It, it's a weekly podcast. Um, depending on our schedule, we, we try to release it every single week, but yep. we've had 10 episodes out. And we dig deep. We dig deep into racial justice. We talk about Ahmaud Arbery. We talk about birth moms and adoption and transformation that way, right. and reconciliation. So check it out. Life is Purpose is the podcast, lifeispurpose.com. That's amazing. I don't know if I don't know if I told you this when we were setting this up, but this podcast was launched during the lockdown as well. It seemed, we are entire, Gen J's entire spring and people listening will know that we had tons of events this spring that were just fell through. And we're like, what, are, what else are we going to do? And we've been wanting to launch a podcast for a long time. And we thought, Let's go for it. So uh, that's we, very we neat. That and I have and I, and I and after we we were live, I discovered your podcast, and I can confirm it's amazing. So go go check it out, everybody. Um, all right, uh, let's see, let's see. Man, there's so much we could talk about. I don't want to keep you for too long, though. Um, let me ask you: Do you have time for two yeah, more questions? Ask whatever you want. All right, two I'm, more. I'm questions. I'm good till yeah, I'm good. Perfect. Um, let's see here. Since you've been involved with the pro-life movement, how has it changed over the years? And where is it? Where are you thrilled with it? And where does it still need to change? It's a great question. Um, let's see. Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> when my wife and I started the Radiance Foundation, we didn't know anybody in the pro-life movement. Not one person. In fact, I remember writing to different pro-life organizations yeah. as a creative director and, and offering my services for free to help okay. rebrand or you know, yep. re-envision things or you know, whatever. Yep. No one ever contacted me. Oh, wow. <laughs> never got back to me. And now we work with all these amazing leaders. Two people but are, are going to be sad now. They're going to be like, we should respond to that guy's email. <laughs> yeah, well, some of them tried to hire me uh, after our first bill, oh, okay, billboard okay, campaign okay, yeah. and, and still do. And I, and I love my colleagues in the pro-life, pro-liberty, pro-family um, movements and sometimes they overlap. Yeah. Uh, many times they overlap. Totally. But what has changed in the pro-life movement? One of the things I can say that has definitely changed mm-hmm. is our visual presentation. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I, we started creating memes years ago because for me online, what, what ends up happening as, as someone who's a designer and a creative director, you can't take brochures and just make them internet. And that's what <laughs> right. a lot of pro-life groups right. were doing. And not just pro-life groups, groups in general. Yeah, like, yeah. No, that does not translate. Yeah. And then you, I remember there are times when certain ones would ask me, you know, well, what's a meme? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, but this is, it's a learning process. Yeah. And we were creating these memes long before a lot of these, these groups were. And I think that's part of what has reshaped some of these things um, that you had live action who doing these expose videos mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. talk about revolutionizing right. Lila Rose and her team, yeah, yeah. her amazing team. They've revolutionized the way the pro-life movement addresses these things from a an in, literally an insider's viewpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got groups like Students for Life that have been able to establish chapters in, in on college campuses and in high schools. Yep. And so they're changing the culture 
by being within those those bastions of confusion, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. public school and and academia, all that. So there there have been a lot of changes since we we started. I'm, I'm glad that I I know a lot of these amazing leaders now. Yeah, but there. I mean, we're still hated by mainstream media that doesn't want to represent anything truthful when it comes to the issue of abortion. It's a rare occasion when you when you hear that. Of course, usually it's from Fox News, but even Fox News. I'll tell you this. Fox News has uninvited me numerous times when we launched that first campaign I talked about. Fox News sent down a crew to cover the whole billboard campaign. They were going to do a feature on this. And the day that they were supposed to do it, the the um, producer contacted me and said, oh, they're going to spike the story. Wow. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. At the time, I didn't understand fully what that meant. Uh uh So they just decided to scrap it. I was invited to be on Bill O'Reilly when Bill Uh O'Reilly was there to talk about the campaign. Yeah. They were going to call back later on that day about arrangements and then decided, no, we're not going to do this. Interesting. Um, Fox and Friends, several times invited on, then uninvited. So I've actually never been able to... Now, Fox News has reported on our billboard Uh campaigns, uh but even... What people will will consider a, a more conservative right, voice right, right. in news, um, yeah, They're it's not, it's been really yeah. interesting. So there there have been a lot of changes. I mean, thank okay. I'm sorry, I missed the biggest thing that has changed the pro life movement: the internet. Yeah, uh, we can yeah, okay. circumvent mainstream media. Now right, I say I would right, say because this, of ac- yeah access audience. Right, I would have said this five years ago. Like uh-huh. this is great. We can now circumvent mainstream media, but now we're also facing the intense censorship of right. those same social the algor- media outlets. Yeah. yeah. So that's also impacting us. Yeah. But there have been a number of changes. But the internet really has revolutionized the way that we're able to yeah. speak truth and directly connect with with Americans. And and we're outspent. We're outspent. Sure. Billions to one. Of course. We're outnumbered when it comes to you know activists. And so the polls don't even make sense. You would think that you know maybe twenty percent of people you know identify as pro life, but yet right. it's typically about half and half. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're we're fighting a battle where I'm a firm believer in Frederick Douglass when he said, "God and you and God and me." And what's right, make a majority against the universe. Love that. So I'm going to go with that every time. (laughs) Amen. That's awesome. Um, Very cool. And what would you say, what still needs to change? What, what, where, you know, either internally or externally? Well, externally, we know. We know that there's, you know, a huge, a huge mission that was still in front of us with the life issue. Right. What would you say internally that that we need to keep, either keep changing or, or, Start changing. Well, the pregnancy center movement, which is at the, they're at the front lines. Yep. I love them. We, yep. we work with so many pregnancy centers. They have also beautifully changed the pro-life movement and what they're, the services that they're offering. So part of that is internally what is changing. And they, of course, they don't get the tax dollars. They don't right. get the half a billion dollars that yeah. Planned Parenthood does. Yeah. They're, you know, individually supported. Um, but those changes are so, so heartening. Those those are those are the needed ones. For instance, the fatherhood mentoring that's now going on in more and more pregnancy centers. Okay, we need more of that because they they understand that there are three lives involved. It's yeah. the mother, yeah. the child, born and unborn, and the father. And so, part of the the internal change is, is that part of the internal change too. And this is always a struggle because. Humankind, sometimes we just don't always get along. I don't know if you right. noticed that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> sometimes, once in a yeah, while. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, all the time. But that that's that's a struggle, too, in any movement. And right. I've seen some great examples of unity within the pro-life movement. There mm-hmm. are, It's not a monolithic group, particularly that's, that's in, in approach. True. And yep. yet we, we work together on so many things um, with extremely limited resources. Yep. And I'm honored. I'm honored to work with, with, you know, right to life directors. I'm honored to work with maternity homes and mm-hmm. pregnancy centers and adoption agencies and, and activist groups or yeah. factivists, as I like to yeah, refer yeah. to us as factivist groups. I love all these. And, and those who work on the legislative side mm-hmm. and the legal side yep. It is so crucial for there to be that kind of unity. Yeah. And I have, I've been in many, many efforts where the unity has been strong and we have made great strides and achievements. People are like, well, abortion has been legal for, you know, over 40 years. Do you know how long slavery was legal? 
don't get discouraged. Yeah. I mean, it took a long time for slavery to be abolished. Yep. And the pro-life movement's passion and heart is to abolish the evil institution of abortion. Love Just it. like abolitionists abolished slavery, the institution of slavery. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about things that are happening externally and things that are happening internally. Um, but we, we need more people, too. Yeah. We need more people to feel that conviction and to find out how they can be involved. Yep. And there are lots of different ways to be involved. Love it. I, I 100% agree. Um, all right. Uh, what, what do you do when you're not out there doing all this, all, 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 everything we've spent you know, an hour talking about? What do you do for fun? What do you do to decompress? What do you, what do, you do to, to, to balance it out? Because this kind of stuff, as, as like life-giving as it can be, if you don't like actually do something else sometimes, right. it, you can burn out. Yeah. So how, does, how, do, how do you manage that? I sleep. You sleep. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Over this pandemic, I have slept more than I have in years. People have to remember, I have four kids. Right. They are ages 9, 11, 12, and 15. Okay. They they require a little bit of energy oh, from yeah. me. Yeah. And see, they're my, first of all, my, my, my faith, God is my highest priority. My wife, my kids, it has to be in that order. Yeah. And everything else has to follow. But what I do for fun, we first of all, we love to play. We love to, now we've been riding our bikes since cool. this is something we do cool, around cool. here. We love the beach. That is my, that is my rescue right there. I used to, we lived, used to live in Virginia beach. That's so. where I'm from. That's where I'm from. Yeah. So you, we, we get it. Oh, it's, it's hard to feel landlocked, but yes, you know, we play my, my, my fam. We, we play, I we love, loved, we love to laugh. We play board games. We just, we spend a lot of time outside. You just, you have to do the things that that keep family strong. Yeah, and I I understand. I used to be a perfectionist to to a fault, mm-hmm. where work was. Of course, this was when I was single. Where work was the highest priority, but it, right. it nearly just it nearly destroyed me. Okay, and so as a husband and as a father, I, I just my dad modeled this though too. My dad worked hard, but he also played. He played hard. We had that. a lot of I love we that. had a lot of fun, and that's what we do. And I'm not kidding about the sleep thing. The sleep thing is, is important. That's important. It's, without yeah. sleep, you just don't function well. So I'm true. just saying, get your sleep. Don't pretend so you true. can operate on five to six hours of sleep a night. Yeah, it I know. I, I need I need I need to apply this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a creative. Um, See, right, this is this is right. a struggle that I have. So I'm right. speaking from experience, okay. pulling all nighters and yeah. aging, you know, twenty years in one year. I'm just so, saying. Right. So I'm Side note, because I do I do creative stuff, and I'm a singer songwriter, and all this. Do you share? And I think creatives differ on this, but like, do you share the the night hour thing where it's just like you you know you should go to bed, but you're like, but this is when the ideas are here, and this is where that like 100 percent, like yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't work when you no, no, I know. when you've got kiddos I know. and yeah. a wife who's like, "What time is it?" Right. I'm right. sorry, it's three a.m. Right. Exactly. So I know. I know it. I have actually over the past several years, I have become much better on that because for me, you know, the creative idea, although I, they f- tend to flourish mm-hmm. late at night when there's uh, quiet, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Exactly. You and focus, when you can yeah. truly concentrate, yeah. yeah. But I, I have to strike that balance. Yeah. It, it's not easy because I, I do get inspired at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock right. in the morning. And I'm like, if I just, you know, if I just, I just throw this together this a little bit, yeah. put out, you know, lay down those vocals, yeah. it, it'll yeah, be yeah. fine. And then before I know it, it's five or six. So I've, I've had to stop doing that. Yeah. Creativity can sometimes be destructive. I, I get that. I get that. Man, well, hey, I've enjoyed this so very much. Thank you for taking the time. Is there anything you'd like to leave the Gen J audience with? That we haven't talked about yet? Sure, because I just want to encourage anybody out there who is listening that we live in a culture right now that everyone wants you to say what everyone else is saying. Mm-hmm. And I just want to speak the word courage to you. That, that courage, we often think you have to have a massive crowd with you, and that's courageous. No, courage is when you're the only one standing and everyone else yeah. is standing apart from you. That's courage. And well, I guess courage doesn't need a crowd. It just needs a conscience. It just needs conviction. And so that. I just want to encourage you that you don't have to be 
you don't have to wait for some massive amount of affirmation all around you. When the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit moves you, move with it. Move with Man. him. I love that. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time. I, I know everybody's going to love this, and uh, I, I will thank you in advance for all of them. Awesome. It was great to be here with you, man. All right. Talk to you soon. Hey, friends. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Gen J Podcast, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most of the other major podcast sites and apps. Uh, if you really liked the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review, uh, hopefully a good review to help other people find it. Uh, this is really helpful when we're starting out with a new show to help people connect with the podcasts who are already listening to similar podcasts. We would love to stay in touch with you, so shoot us an email at info at generationjoshua.org or follow us at Generation Joshua on Instagram and Facebook. We will be back soon with another episode.